We're going to open up our books, open up our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Now this is a pretty familiar chapter. I think we've all read out of this chapter 30 million times. But every time you read this chapter, you can get new things from it. So let's open up our Bibles. I'm going to read three scriptures. I'm going to read Hebrews 11 and 1, Hebrews 11 and 6, and Hebrews 12 and 2. Hebrews 11 and 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. Let's skip on down to verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And then let's skip on over to 12 and 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Let's all lift our hands to God one more time today. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to hear from your word, God. Help us, Lord, to increase our faith today, Lord. Speak to us. Speak to me today, Lord. Oh, we love you, Jesus. Let your anointing fill this place, God. We worship you, Jesus. We magnify you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, you are good, God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Everybody say hallelujah. hallelujah. You may be seated. So today I'm going to talk about the finisher of our faith because every man is given a measure of faith. And so that same person, that same author of that faith is going to be the finisher of our faith. And so a little bit of context about the scriptures I just read. Uh, we know that when the Bible was originally written, when whoever wrote Hebrews, they didn't put chapter 11 and verse 1. They just wrote a letter, and it was all one letter. And then in the year, I believe, 1557, something like that, they were writing the Bibles. It wasn't the King James. I forget what version it was. But they were like, you know what, we need to make these a little bit easier for people to, to read and to find scriptures. Because before that, with, when the, uh, the Catholic Church was uh, the dominant church of, of, the, of the whole world at that point in time, they were taught that it wasn't your place to read the Bible. You weren't supposed to read the Bible, that the priest would read the Bible and interpret it to you, according because you weren't smart enough to know the Bible, I guess. I don't know. But... There was a, a Protestant revival, we know, and there was a lot of Protestant uh, churches, denominations came out, and that's a whole nother lesson for a whole nother day. But basically, in 1557, they said, we're going to make this to where anybody can read the Bible. And so they started making chapters and verses to make it easier for us to read, and I'm thankful for that. But every now and then, they kind of break it in what I consider to be weird places. Now, whoever put this together, that was their prerogative. They're the ones that sectioned it off however they thought. Now, me personally, when I read this, whoever wrote Hebrews, we don't know for sure who wrote it. A lot of people think Paul, but we don't know for sure. They spend all this time talking about faith, 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 more faith, and by faith, and by faith, and by faith. And then they get to chapter, well, we, we call it chapter 12. And for a few verses, he's still talking about faith. So I really feel like the first part of chapter 12 should have been with chapter 11. So we're just going to start at the beginning of chapter 11, and we're going to go on to the beginning of chapter 12, because I don't want to interrupt it there in the middle. And so let's go back to verse, verse 1 here, because I want to encourage somebody to, I want to encourage somebody's faith today. I want to help somebody's faith to grow. If at all possible, I want our faith to grow, because we need faith. We have to have faith. We have to have faith. So verse 1 says it's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So it's something that you're hoping for, something that you haven't seen, but you believe you're going to receive it, something that you believe exists, something like that. You don't see the evidence of it, but you believe it. So now I'm going to do a little object lesson because I like to teach with object lessons. If I take this pen and I give it to you, and just give it to you, does he have faith that I'm going to give him a pen? No, because he has a pen. I mean, he already knows. It's, it's seen. It's not hoped for. He already has it in his hand. But if I'm still holding the pen and I say, Brother Isaiah, I'm going to give you this pen, do you have faith that I'm going to give you this pen? Because he doesn't know that I'm going to give him the pen. I don't have to give him the pen. Just because I said I'm going to give him the pen doesn't mean I'm necessarily going to give him the pen. But I say I'm going to give you this pen. He has faith to receive it, and then I give him the pen. It works like that. And so faith isn't what you've already received. Faith is what you're hoping for. Faith is what you're hoping for. And the definition of faith 
is complete confidence in someone or something. And so it's complete confidence. You just, you know without a shadow of a doubt that this is what's going to happen. I have confidence that when I turn on the light switch, the lights are going to turn on. I don't, I don't wonder every morning when I get up and turn the light switch on, are, they, are the lights going to turn on today or are they not? And if we lived in an unstable power grid or something like that, maybe I wouldn't have as much faith. But I have complete confidence that when I flip that switch, the lights are going to come on. And when the lights don't come on, I think, uh-oh, something's not right here. But in the context of Scripture, we know that faith applies to having confidence in God and the things of God. And, but people have faith in all sorts of things. People have faith in other gods. People have faith in things that aren't even gods. People make things into gods and then have faith in those things. People have faith that their football team is going to win because they cheered the loudest and they wore the most, most body paint. And so they know that their team is going to win because and then their team loses anyway. And they say, how could this happen? I wore 30 gallons of body paint. How could they lose? But people have faith in some crazy things. And so Hebrews 11 and 3 says, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. So our faith is that there was nothing but God. There was just God. In the beginning, God. And that was it. And then God spoke everything into existence out of nothing but his word. His word created everything. That is what we have faith in. I wasn't there. You weren't there. None of us were there. That's what God told Job. He says, were you there when I made everything? And, of course, Job wasn't there. So we have to have faith that God created everything simply with his word. John 1 and 1. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. Verse 3. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. God made everything with his word because he was the beginning, and in the beginning he created everything. We have faith that God spoke the universe into existence exactly like it's detailed in the book of Genesis. And before that, there was simply eternity. It was just God and eternity. And that was it. And when God has completed all things, it's just going to be eternity again on the other side. Time is just a little tiny blip in the middle of eternity. That's all time is. And our, our brains can't comprehend all of that. It's, it's, it's far out there to our brains. But we have faith to believe it, that it's true, just like the word of God says. Now, other people, like I was saying, have faith in other things. Others argue that it was the Big Bang that created everything, that created the universe. And I've studied the Big Bang just because I want to understand what other people are talking about. It's, it's okay sometimes to read and study other things, even though you don't believe those things, just so you understand where they're coming from. And Stephen Hawking, he was a, he was a very intelligent man, but when I think of an, his intelligence, I think of where the Bible talks about people that profess themselves to be wise and they became fools. Well, he was a very intelligent man in some ways, he was very foolish. And his final theory on the Big Bang before his death is that there was this small spot of incredibly dense and incredibly powerful energy that was just there. And that was all there was. There was no universe. And that's all there was. And then all of a sudden, not one day, but just all of a sudden that exploded and it created the universe. And that's where the universe came from. And he came up with these other ideas that there was places where the universe quit expanding and it stopped. And so the universe wrapped around itself and it created multiverses and multi multiple dimensions and it's just it's far out there stuff and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense and he believed that before that ball of energy exploded into the big bang that there was eternity and he says that after the universe is done expanding and the universe is going to collapse in on itself and after that it's going to be eternity again and so he believed in eternity and he believed all these other things these, these multiverses and all these crazy things and when I was reading about this I thought to myself this man had a tremendous amount of faith in the wrong thing. This guy had a ton of faith. He's deceased now, but he had a ton of faith. He had tons of faith. He believed these without a shadow of a doubt. He had complete confidence that he was right. But we believe the word of God, and so we believe that he was not correct on those things. That's right. And so people can have faith, tremendous faith, exponential faith, in the wrong things. So we need to make sure that we are having faith in the right things. And so I'll, I'll never understand how people think it's crazy to believe that a God could simply speak everything into existence, but yet it's not crazy to think that a ball of energy created everything into existence. I mean, I don't know. We won't get into that today. We're going to continue on reading through uh, chapter 11 of Hebrews. By faith, Abel 
offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. And the context of this that he's talking about here is Adam and Eve. We know they were in the garden. Everything was perfect. There was no sin. And then one day Adam and Eve fell. They sinned. They committed sin. They ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The one thing they were not supposed to do, they did. And so now sin has entered into the world. Sin has entered into humanity. Humanity has fallen. And so God comes to them and says, what have you done? And they start making excuses. And we can talk about that another time. So the ultimate end of that was that God made a promise. He said, okay, you messed up. You did a bad thing. There's going to be some consequences. But I'm going to make a promise for you that one day I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to save you once again. We're going to, you're going, I'm going to bring my people, my, my human creation into, into communion with me once again. We're going to bring this all back together, and I'm going to fix these things. We're going to make it right. And we know ultimately he's talking about the blood of Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost. And ultimately, ultimately, he ta- he's talking about when we're all together again in the holy city, in New Jerusalem. When we're all together once again, it'll be peace on earth once again. And so he's, he promises this to Adam and Eve. And so Adam and Eve tell their children about this. They tell Abel and Cain about this. And so Abel believed this prophecy. He believed it was true. And so he was offering a blood sacrifice to God because he knew that's what God desired. And he knew that's what God wanted because he believed he had faith in the promise of God. But Cain Either he didn't believe or he didn't care about the promises of God. And so he made an offering of whatever he wanted to make an offering of. And it didn't please God. It was the wrong type of sacrifice. He had the wrong type of faith. He knew he needed to give a sacrifice. He had faith in that, but he didn't have faith in that redemption story. He didn't have faith that he needed to give a blood sacrifice. And so he didn't please God. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death. He was one of only two people in the entire Bible that never died. He never saw death at all. Him and Elijah, they were both just taken away. And Enoch especially was just, just gone. He was not. Just the Bible says he was, and then he wasn't. So I don't know how it happened. He didn't, I don't know that he got chariots of fire or anything like that. He just all of a sudden one day, it was, it was, it's a type of the rapture is what it was. But he was just, he was there one second, and the next second he was not there because he was so close to God. He had so much faith. And God even revealed to him things that wouldn't happen for thousands and thousands of years. We, we, when we read, uh, I believe it was in Jude, he talks about how Enoch prophesied that the Lord was going to come with ten thousands, thousands of his saints, or exactly how it said, I'm not sure. But he saw things that haven't even happened yet, and Enoch has been gone for thousands of years. And he was so close to God, and he had so much faith. And verse 6 tells us, or before that, actually, it talks about Enoch, and it says that he has the testimony that he pleased God. Bible says that Cain did not please God because he didn't have faith in the right things. But Enoch had faith in the right things, and he pleased God. And verse 6 tells us that if we don't have faith, we can't please God. And so we have to have faith in our hearts. We have to believe the things of God. We have to know without a shadow of a doubt that God is true, his word is true, if we want to please God. And so just like Cain didn't have faith in his offering, his offering displeased God, it doesn't matter what works we have if we don't mix them with faith because God won't accept them. If I was just a random person, I didn't know anything about God, and I walked in here one day and I said, Pastor Carriker, I'm going to give a million dollars to your church. And I'm sure Pastor Carriker would take it and he'd say, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. And then everybody would build a new church. And then I went out those doors and I never came back to church again. Is that million dollars going to get me to heaven? Is that going to get me anything in life? It might get me a, a few blessings here and there just because I, was, I, I gave to the church. God might might decide to do that. I don't know. He might not. There's no, no guarantee on that. But I guarantee you I'm not going to get to heaven just by giving money to the church. It doesn't matter what our works are if we don't mix them with faith because God won't accept them. And so we have to have that faith. By faith, Noah. Noah built a gigantic boat in the middle of a desert on a concept that didn't even exist. The flood. The flood wasn't a thing. He said, he told everybody, he preached at him and preached at him for, for years and years and years that there's going to be a flood. It's going to rain. It's, there's going to be water. It's going to be deep water. It's going to be deeper than those mountains over there. And they're, they're constantly, they're like, okay, Noah, you're, you're talking crazy now. It, what are you even talking about? I mean, one time I fell in the river, and it was, it was like eight feet deep, but I got right back out. So, I mean, what is this flood that you're talking about? And it was a foreign concept, and God spoke to Noah one time and said, Noah, there's going to be a flood. 
you're going to build a boat. This is how you build it. And then that was that. He didn't speak to him again for a long time. And so Noah took that in faith, and he says, I believe what I just received from God. I believe what I just heard from God. And so I'm going to take that. I'm going to put it in my heart. And even if he never speaks to me again, I'm going to follow through with what God told me to do. And sometimes that happens with us. God tells us to do something. He puts something in our heart and says, do this. And so now it's up to us to do this, whatever this is. And we can choose not to do that. God may never tell us again. He may not remind us. We have to put forth the effort and say, okay, I'm going to do this. If Noah had said, are you sure, God, and God didn't speak to him again, he may have been like, well, maybe I just, maybe I ate something weird. Maybe it was just in my imagination. Maybe, maybe it was whatever, and he didn't do it. What would have happened? The human race would have gone extinct is what would have happened. But he had faith, an incredible amount of faith. By faith, Abraham. Abraham had so much faith. He probably had more faith than most of the people in the Bible. This guy, God speaks to him and says, get out of where you're living. You can't live there anymore. You can't live in that, that lifestyle anymore. There's too much sin there. You've got to get out of that sin. Get out of there, Abraham. I'm going to take you to a new place, a better place. I'm going to take you to a new home. You're going to live a new life. You're not going to be the same old creature that you were over there in Ur of the Chaldees. And so Abraham has to get up. He has to leave behind his family. He has to leave behind his way of living. He has to leave behind everything. And at this point in time, Abraham's already, he's not an old man yet, but he's not a young man either. He's lived a pretty long life at this point in time, just living life the same old way. Now, he had faith in God. He believed in God. But at the same time, he had to leave all of that old life behind. He had to say, I'm forsaking that way of living. I'm not doing that anymore. And I'm going to go over here. And he didn't even know where he was going. God says, I'll show you when you get there. So if I told you I want you to go someplace, but I'm not going to tell you where to go. I just want you to go there, and I'll show you when you get there. You're going to look at me like, that doesn't even make sense. Which direction do I even go? Do I go that way, that way, north, south, east, west? What do I do? And that's what God told Abraham. He says, I'll show you when you get there. I'm going to show you the land. And so Abraham says, okay. And so Abraham took off marching. And we know ultimately he went west and he went towards the land of Israel. It wasn't Israel back then, but he had faith. And the Bible talks about how that he kept looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. He was looking for this special heavenly city, and he knew he would probably never see it because God never told him he was going to see that city. He just told him that he was going to take him to a, a, a land, a, another place. He was going to take him to a better place. But he kept looking for that heavenly city. Right. He had faith that he was going to find that place. And even though he never found that place in this life, in eternal life, he's going to be in that heavenly city. He's going to be there in New Jerusalem. That city he was looking for thousands of years ago that's where he's still headed. He's headed there. And so we can do the same thing. We can be searching for things. We can be looking for things. And we're walking by faith and not by sight. And we don't even know what direction we're supposed to be walking in. But we're just walking by faith saying, God, you know, direct my feet, Lord. Put it in my heart. Whatever direction you want me to go, I'm going to go that direction in faith, Lord. And I'm going to put my trust in you, complete unwavering trust, that you're going to help me to reach that point that you want me to go. And so we have to walk like that. And when you're walking like that, you may walk through a few foreign lands. You may walk through a few deserts. Abraham wandered in deserts and foreign lands his entire life. He was just walking around. And ultimately, we know he found that, that land that he was headed to. But even then, it wasn't completely his. Just wherever he was at became his area. But the whole land of Israel that he ultimately gave to the children of Israel wasn't Abraham's yet. He was just marching along as God led him. And he was wandering through these deserts and these desolate places, and he had some hardships in his life. But if Abraham can do all of that without the Holy Ghost, how much more can we do it with the Holy Ghost? Amen. Abraham wandered through some crazy places and didn't even know what direction he was supposed to be going. He endured some crazy things all in, in himself. Whereas us, we have the Holy Ghost, and so we may not know where we're supposed to be headed. We may not know what plans God has for our future. We may not know the exact call that God has in our life, but we just keep on marching, and we keep on marching. We say, God, I'm following after you and your will, whatever it may be. I don't even know which direction I'm going, Lord, for sure, but I know, Lord, that you're going to help me, and you're going to tell me when I get there, and you're going to say, okay, at this point in time, this is my will for you, because that's what God did for Abraham. As he got to different places, God would say, this is my will for your life right now. Okay, Abraham, now that you're over here, you're going to have a child. You didn't have a ch child for 80 or 90 years, however long it was, or 100 years. You, you didn't have a, a child for all these years, but now you're going to have a child. 
And so he got these prophecies at different points in his life. God didn't tell Abraham when he first called him out that he was going to have a child. That came years and years later. And so it's the same thing with us. And so we're going to skip down through chapter 11 a little bit further. And it talks throughout here, it talks about the other patriarchs. And it talks about other people. It talks about Sarah, how they all had faith. But these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims in the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. They seek a country. Think about that. They were seeking a country. And even though they got to that country, that wasn't the country they were seeking for. That wasn't what they were looking for exactly. They knew that that was their, God's will in their life for that moment. But ultimately, they knew that God had even greater things than that in store for them. And so they received great miracles in their lives. All of these patriarchs, all of these men had, and these women had great miracles happen in their lives. Tremendous things that were impossible by anything other than God. And yet they were still looking for more. They said, thank you, Lord, for these things that you've done in our life to this point. But I want more. I don't want to just stay right here. I don't want to just die and my bones get buried here in, in whatever cave this is over here. But, Lord, I want to see more. I want to see that heavenly city one day, Lord. Remember me. Take me to that heavenly city. They were searching. They never gave up their search, even to the day that they died. They never gave up that search, that, that pressing forward, reaching for that promise, that promised place. They had faith that the miracles that they received in life were just a small taste of what was to come. Because these miracles, while they are great things, that they received healings, and they received blessings, and they received children, and they received all these things. But ultimately, what good does that do them if they don't have eternal salvation? And so they knew. They didn't understand exactly everything. They saw through a glass darkly. They didn't understand exactly how it was all going to come together. But they knew that a long time ago, their great, 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 however many great grandmothers Eve was, she received a promise that one day she was going to have a child of her lineage that was going to redeem the people of Israel, that somehow, some way, all of mankind was going to be redeemed and saved. And so they kept looking for that promise. And they were pilgrims on this earth. We don't belong here. None of us in here belong here. It doesn't matter if you were born here or somewhere else. It doesn't matter. You don't belong on this earth. This isn't our home. We can do things while we're here. We've got to pay the bills. We've got to work our job. It's okay to have fun. It's okay to go fishing. It's okay to do all those things. It's okay to enjoy life. There's nothing wrong with that. But where the issue comes is if we start heaping to ourselves riches here and we say, this is where my treasure is. If we do that, then there's an issue. And I'm not saying you can't have money here. That's okay, but your treasure can't be here. Your money and your treasure have to be two different things. Your money can't be your treasure. Your treasure has to be in a heavenly place. It has to be beyond this world because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be also. We're just pilgrims here. We're just passing through. And so skipping ahead more, we see that Joseph tells the children of Israel, he says, look, I'm about to die. And when I die, someday you're going to leave this land. He was in Egypt. He says, when you leave Egypt, take my bones with you. Take me where you're going. And he knew that at that point in time, he was going to be long dead. And his bones didn't really care where they were. When you're dead, you don't really care about much. And I, my wife has asked, what do I do with all this junk that you have if something were to happen to you? And I said, I don't really care. It won't matter to me at that point in time. Crush it, sell it. I don't care. It doesn't matter anymore. And so Joseph knew that it didn't really, really matter where his bones were. But he knew that it was a symbolic move of that he was hoping for that heavenly city. He was hoping to get out of Egypt. He was hoping to get to that promised land as well. And so it was a symbolic move on his part. And by faith, Moses, he was hid by his mother. When Jochebed built that ark and stuck him in that river, she had faith that God was going to make a way out of no way. Now, who in here would take your baby, stick it in the basket, and stick it out in crocodile-infested waters? I saw a hand down here. Sticking a baby out in crocodile water, shame on you. No, I'm kidding. But no, that's what she did, though. She took this baby because Pharaoh had said, we're going to kill all the male children. And she said, he's going to die anyway. I'm just going to trust in God. And she stuck that baby out there in the river. And see, the thing about it is, is this is in Egypt. And yeah, they have crocodiles. But crocodiles, if they don't sense that it's an animal, they aren't going to really mess with it anyway. And so crocodiles probably ignore that because it was an ark of bulrushes. It was made out of things that were naturally in the river anyway. So crocodiles didn't really care. But there were hippos in that river as well. And hippos, if something comes into their territory, they don't care if it's a crocodile. They don't care if it's a person. They don't care if it's a boat. They don't really care. 
hippos kill way more people than crocodiles. They'll attack it, and they've got those huge tusks and mouths, and they just smack stuff. And so here's this little tiny baby floating in this dangerous river. Jochebed had so much faith that somehow, some way, God was going to make a way. And we all know that ultimately God did make a way. And Moses caught a hold of that faith as he was being raised as an Egyptian. And he still had so much faith that for 40 years he refused to be called an Egyptian. He refused to be part of that. Even though he would have got all sorts of wealth and power and fame, he would have been the most powerful man in the world at some point. But he rejected all of that, and he chose to suffer affliction with the people of God because he had faith that his God was greater than anything else that Egypt had to offer. And so for 40 years, he kept that faith, and then we know that he has to flee to the desert. And for 40 more years, he keeps that faith as he wanders around in the desert. Once again, we see a man of faith wandering in a desert, a dry place, a place where there's nothing. It's desolate, and he doesn't know what direction to go. He's married now. He's got kids now. But he still, he's living life, but he still doesn't know what God's purpose is in his life. He knew he was going to be a redeemer of the people of Israel. He knew he was going to save his people. He just, he just knew it. And that's why he rose up against that Egyptian that day and killed him 40 years before. And he just, he's wandering for all these years, doesn't know what his purpose in life is exactly. But when he gets to that place where God wants him to be, when he got to that place in that desert and he sees that burning bush and he comes over there to see why it's not being consumed... And God speaks to him out of that bush. So God says, okay, you lived your life to this point, wandering and trusting in me. You didn't know exactly what your purpose was, but I'm going to tell you right now, Moses, what your purpose is. And so we see God do a great work in Egypt at that point in time, rescue the people out of slavery. And so after this, Joshua is the leader now, and they march into the promised land. It says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. Now, how crazy to the people of that city think that the Israelites were. Now, we know that because of Rahab, when they first came to that city, Rahab was like, we know you're going to conquer us. Everybody's terrified of you. Everybody's terrified. And so imagine this. You're terrified of these people. They come up there, millions of them, and they start marching around the city every day, real quiet, not making any sound. And so the first day, they're like, oh, what are they doing? What are they doing? What are they doing? Probably peeking over the wall. They were terrified. They didn't know what was going on. And then the second day, they kind of, are they, they're doing that again? What, what are they doing? I, I don't know. I don't, I don't trust them, though. I don't know what they're doing. The third day, they're like, okay, this is, this is kind of weird now. Fourth day, uh, this is kind of weird. And so it goes on, and by the end of that, they may not have been terrified of those people anymore. They may have thought, well, maybe the stories we heard were a little bit overblown. Maybe, you know, it's not like we saw pictures or anything. I didn't see a picture. Obviously, they didn't have pictures, but they didn't hear any. They had heard these stories, and they thought, well, maybe, maybe that story that we heard was a little bit embellished. And so they, did, they, they probably thought at the end of that, and then the last day, we know they're marching around and around and around over and over again. And the people of Jericho were probably like, okay, I guess this is life now. I, I don't know. This is kind of weird. I, I guess whatever. But then we know. All of a sudden, at the end of that, they blew the trumpets. Everybody shouted, and those walls came down. They just came down. Huge walls, so big they could have chariot races. Those walls were wider than this church on that city massive walls and they fell down now walls like that can't blow over in the wind they can't crumble they, they don't do that sort of stuff it says they fell down flat they didn't they didn't do it they just fell over can you imagine walls that big just falling over instantly and historically we know that Jericho probably had inner walls as well and the Bible says that the walls of Jericho fell flat it didn't say the outer walls it says the walls of Jericho fell flat so that inner wall that was around the king's place and all of the royalty in the middle those walls fell down too. And so all of the walls of Jericho fell down flat. The people of Israel went in and conquered the city by faith. By faith. And so verse 32 says, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and Jephthah, of David also and Samuel and of the prophets. Gideon was a poor man who had to turn his back on the ways of his family. He had to turn his back on the way his father lived life. He had to turn his back on those idols and that, that sin that was in his life. He had to say, God, I'm not going to have that sin. And God, the very first thing God made a Gideon do is get rid of the sin in his life. You can't do a work for God if you've got sin in your life. You can't do anything like that. You can be used by God in the same way that Nebuchadnezzar and other wicked men in the Bible were used, but it's not going to do you any good. But if you want to be really used by God, if you want to do a work for God, you've got to get rid of the sin in your life. You've got to cut it out. You've got to burn it. Gideon had to burn that sin out of his life. And he had to make it public. 
He couldn't go around his friends and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm still, I still got my idols at home and then burn them in secret. No, he went out in the middle of the city and he burned his father's stuff. He burned it and got rid of it. And so he had faith that God was going to do it. And a few hundred men with Gideon conquered thousands of enemies and they delivered Israel. And Barak and Samson and Jephthah, they all made terrible mistakes in their life. Barak was kind of a chicken. Samson was overly confident and he, he struggled with sin. And Jephthah was making stupid decisions. And they made these bad mistakes in their life, yet they were all able to rise above those things, those mistakes, and keep the faith in their life alive. And David and Samuel, we know these men, we think of them as great men of faith. But David and Samuel both had children that hated God, that wanted nothing to do with God, that would not serve God no matter what their fathers told them. And they were able to keep that faith alive, even though they had children that were not serving God. And the prophets, there's Elijah, Elisha, Hosea, Amos, Ezekiel, Daniel, Joel, many more prophets. And they had faith. They had tremendous faith in God and the, the promise that one day God was going to redeem his people. They were going to be taken to a better place. They were going to have a better, a better thing than anything they could have on this earth. They all had faith of that redeemer, that coming redeemer that was going to redeem not just their physical lives there in Israel, but he was going to redeem their souls. They weren't going to be a lost people anymore. They believed. They had faith in that. They prophesied of Jesus. We know Isaiah prophesied about the coming Messiah multiple times. And they believed that someday they were going to be truly saved from their sins. And all the evidence around them, everything around them pointed to the contrary. Everything around them says, you're going into captivity in Babylon. You're going into captivity in Assyria. You're going into all these, these wicked places. You're going to be conquered. And your, your family gets killed. And you get taken captive. And all these things happen around them. You're getting thrown into the den of lions. This tragedy is going to happen in your life. This tragedy is going to happen in your life. And through all of that, they kept faith that said, God, I don't really care what happens in this life because I know that someday, David said, you're not going to leave my soul in hell, but you're going to redeem me out of this. There's a redeemer coming. I know that redeemer's coming someday. Someday, somehow, I'm going to be saved. They believed. They kept that faith in God. Now, remember, they didn't have the Holy Ghost yet. But these prophets, they were tortured. Many of them were executed. They were once again forced to wander in the desert. They were once again forced to wander in no man's land with nothing and no direction and no, no immediate guidance. There was no GPS in their life. They didn't know exactly what to do in their life. And so faith doesn't always make your life a bowl of rainbows and sunshine. Having faith gets you through. We walk by faith. We walk by faith. But that doesn't mean we're walking by faith doesn't mean we're not going to stub our toe on the on the. On the, on the nightstand in the middle of the night when it's pitch black and we can't see where we're walking. There's going to be things happen in our life anyway, but we can't let those things crush our faith because our faith has to be greater than the things of this world. And so we look at Jeremiah. I, I really looked into Jeremiah while I was studying this, and he began his ministry in a time of great, one of the greatest revivals that Israel ever had. Israel had a tremendous revival under Josiah, and that's when Jeremiah became a prophet. And so the first part of his life, everything was rosy. Everything was great. Everything was going fantastic. I mean, it's just tremendous revival. Everybody loved God at that point in time. There was no opposition. It was easy to prophesy and tell the people what's going on because nothing bad was going on. It was super easy for him. And sometimes the hardest time to keep our faith is in the good times because, like I did with the pen example, when we've got everything we need, we don't need faith anymore. What good does faith do us? What good does faith do you? And, and having a, a good job, when you've got a real stable job, you don't have to have faith that God's going to provide your needs because you've got a good job and you're making good money, and so all your needs are taken care of. And when you're in good health, you don't have to have faith that God's going to heal you because you don't need healed. And so sometimes when things are going good, it's hard to have faith. But we have to remember that whether life is good or bad, our faith has to be in something greater, something higher. We're looking for that city. We're just pilgrims. We're looking for that heavenly city. We're looking for that city whose builder and maker is God. We're not looking for the things of this, these cities and these, this world and all the things around us. That's not what our, we're looking for. And so, however, after the death of Josiah, Josiah dies, and Josiah has a son named Jehoiakim. And Jehoiakim hated God, hated Jeremiah, hated the things of God. He loved wicked things, he didn't want to be obedient to God. He didn't want to be obedient to what Jeremiah was saying. And so Jeremiah all of a sudden went from this peachy keen life over to this life of hardships 
like that. Just almost immediately, over a very short period of time, his life got turned upside down. But he kept that faith. And Jehoiakim and the people, even the people hated Jeremiah. And they said, we're sick of you prophesying bad things about us, Jeremiah. All these other prophets over here are saying good things all the time. That we're going to conquer the Babylonians and that everything's going to be okay. And you're over here telling us that the Babylonians are going to kill us and take us captive. And we don't, we're sick and tired of hearing it, Jeremiah. And so finally one day they say, you know what, Jeremiah, you're done. We're going to kill you. And they take him, Jehoiakim has him taken, and they throw him into a pit, a pit of, a, of mud. It was a cistern that was dried up, and it was just mud down at the bottom. And he sinks up to his shoulders, and so now he's in this mud pit. He can't move. He has no direction in his life. He doesn't even, can't go in any direction. He is stuck right where he is at, Jeremiah is. And in the midst of that, he kept his faith, and he cried out to God. And we know that God sent a man to rescue him, and they pull him out of that pit. And shortly after that, King Nebuchadnezzar comes, and God says, you know what? You tried to kill my prophet, so instead, you're going to die. And so Nebuchadnezzar comes in, and we know that this was a tragedy for Jeremiah, though. Even in the midst of this, even though they had, people hated Jeremiah, he still wept over them. Because Babylonians come in, they destroy Jerusalem, they burn the temple, they kill the, the, the people, they slaughtered them, they take the king away. They put his eyes out and put him in prison. They do all these horrible things, they, they, and Jeremiah has to witness it all. And Jeremiah doesn't get killed. He doesn't get that, that relief of death. King Nebuchadnezzar says, no, keep that guy alive. Don't hurt him. If you hurt him, I'll hurt you. He protected Jeremiah, which seems like a blessing from our perspective. But in Jeremiah's perspective, at that point in time, what more did he have to live for? He didn't know what further things he could do in his life. His calling to his country, to his people, his people were gone. What was he supposed to do now? What direction did he have in his life now? But he was left there as one of the remnants. And he had to wander in destitution for the rest of his life. But he kept prophesying to the remnant that was there, saying that one day, somehow, someway, God is going to redeem his people. He's going to save us. God is going to send a redeemer. He's going to restore us. He's going to help us somehow, some way. And so I said all of that to say this, is that living for God isn't always easy it isn't always fun. It's not always peachy keen like Jeremiah's first part of his ministry was. Everything isn't always great. And you're going to endure hardships. That's going to happen. Bad things are going to happen in your life. You're going to endure scary times. Times of uncertainty. Times of no direction. Times of desert walk, walking in the desert. Times of walking in these wastelands. Times that you don't understand what's going on around you. But the promise is so much greater than all of that. Because the promise is, is that God made a city for us. He made a city for us, and it's, he, he's making a way for us to get to that city. Hebrews 12 and 2, we're back here at this. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus doesn't start our faith. He doesn't bring us to this house. You would not be here today if you didn't have a measure of faith that God gave you. God gave you a measure of faith to get up out of bed and come to this house today. And you would not be here if he didn't give you that measure of faith. But God doesn't want to just give you a little bit of faith to get you here. He wants to help you to finish that faith. He wants you to be renewed in the Holy Ghost today. He wants you to be filled with the Holy Ghost. If you don't have the Holy Ghost today, you have enough faith to come to this house. I want you to have enough faith to receive the Holy Ghost today as well. God wants to finish that faith. And then tomorrow, God wants to help you keep finishing that faith. And then the next day, God wants to help you keep finishing that faith. And so when it feels like you're wandering in a desert or wandering in a dry place or you're enduring those hard times, when you lose your job unexpectedly or when you get sick with something serious all of a sudden out of nowhere and your health goes downhill rapidly, or these situations come up in our life and we don't know exactly what direction to go, we don't know exactly what to do. When you have family members that won't serve God, that no matter what you say, no matter how much you pray for them, they just say, no, I don't want anything to do with that. I'm not going to serve God. I want to do my own thing. And we have all of these things, and our prayers aren't getting answered the way we think they should be answered. And sometimes it may feel like God isn't hearing us. I talked about this in Sunday school a little bit, is that the children of Israel were slaves for hundreds of years before God finally came down and rescued them. But God heard them the entire time that they were slaves. He heard their cries. He was waiting for his timing. And so we're in the midst of all that. No matter what the circumstances are around you, keep your eyes on Jesus, because Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. 
And so we have to keep that faith strong. He, Ephesians 6 talks about the shield of faith. And you take that shield of faith and it talks about the whole armor of God. But right now I want to focus on the shield of faith. And so you take that shield of faith and it says it's to block the fiery darts of the wicked, of the, of the devil. And so you hold up that, that shield of faith. And in the old days when they would launch salvos of arrows, hundreds if not thousands of, of archers would be back behind the front lines. And they would shoot their bows like that. And those arrows would darken out the sky and come down. And just masses of arrows would hit the ground all at once. And they weren't aiming at one person. Their point was is they wanted to just wipe out as many people as possible with a rain of arrows. And so they would take their shields. When the enemies would launch those arrows, they would crouch down underneath those shields like that. And those arrows would stab into the shield and wouldn't stab into them. And so we have to, in the Romans, remember when the Hebrews was written, the Romans were in power. They, the Romans mastered the use of shields. They created the, uh, this, these iron domes, and these tur- they called it the turtle, and they would go like this, and they'd make a dome, and it looked like a turtle. And the arrows could bounce off of their shields. They couldn't hurt the Roman, the Roman soldiers. And so that's how the Romans were able to take over the world is because they were so good with their shields. And so whoever wrote uh, Ephesians, Paul wrote Ephesians, he says, take that shield. Take that shield and block those fiery darts. And the other day I was hauling some old trucks that I bought at an auction. And I'm out in the field out in the middle of nowhere out by Udall. And the wind is whipping and roaring. It is extremely windy out there. I'm out in the middle of a field. There's dirt blowing everywhere. And I kind of knew my truck was over here. And I'm not kidding. It wasn't just a little bit of wind. It was the day that it snowed a little bit. And when that, that, that front came in, that northern wind hit hard and it hit fast. And so we're out there just minding our own business. It's 60-some degrees. And then all of a sudden it goes from 60 to 35 like that. And it, that wind is just came out of nowhere and so I know my truck's over there and so I'm I'm trying to get back to my truck and so I have to hold my arm up like this and I have to block all that dirt and I have to just keep my eyes focused on my my goal my ultimate goal I have to stay focused on that goal of getting to my truck getting in there closing the door so I can start driving instead of having to have all that dirt and wind in my eyes and it's it's a simple concept of covering up and just pressing forward it's a simple concept but it applies to our walk with God and so you have to use that faith to help you You have to keep your eyes on what you're hoping for above all else. You have to keep marching towards that goal, even though sometimes you can't see it. You don't know where you're marching. You don't know why you're going that direction. You don't know if you're even going the right direction. You feel like God has led you in that direction, and you're just walking that way, but we're walking by faith and not by sight, and so we don't know exactly where we're going. We don't know exactly where we're headed. We don't know exactly why we're going there. We don't know all the details, but we're just trusting in God, and we're having faith that God's going to help us to get there. We have to keep our eyes, our spiritual eyes focused on the spiritual prize. Amen. We have to do that. And if someone could come to the music, I'm just about done. Hebrews 11:33 says, "Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions." And so you can use your faith in your prayer. You combine the two together and you can march right on through every situation, no matter what that situation might be, you can march right on through it. And it may not feel like marching around your Jericho is getting you anywhere. You may be marching around it and 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 around it, on and on and on. And it may feel like it's getting you nowhere. You're just going in circles in life and you don't know why you're doing it. But when God intervenes, it will be a miraculous thing. And you will say, God did this in my life. God answered my prayer. God heard my prayer. He heard my prayer a long time ago, and I just had to keep marching and marching and marching until he answered that prayer, and keep praying, and keep trusting, and keep the faith, because you know it's going to happen. And I have an example of this in my life, and I can't give the exact details. This isn't the time or place for it, but I prayed a specific prayer for years, a very specific prayer, and I said, God, this is what I want you to do, and I want you to do exactly this. Not just a little bit, not just this, not just not a little bit over here, but I want you to take care of the entire situation. I know you can do it, God. I know it's an impossible thing, but I serve a God who does the impossible. And all of a sudden, one day out of nowhere, God answered that prayer, and boom, it was taken care of just like that. That situation was taken care of, answered my prayer exactly like I prayed it, and God just took care of it. And it took a long time to get there. And so I could have given up halfway through and be like, well, I guess this isn't going to happen not going to happen in my life. I give up. I guess, guess I had faith in the wrong thing. Maybe I'm like Stephen Hawking and I trusted the wrong things and I just, I didn't, I should have kept my trust in God, but uh, I don't know. It's just, I, I give up. I just give up. If we'd have that mentality, we won't see that heavenly city. If Abraham would have stopped halfway, he would have never made it to the promised land. 
We see a lot of the Israelites, when they came out of Egypt, they doubted God over and over again. They didn't have any faith. They didn't trust in God, even though he had done miracles and miracles and miracles for them. And finally, God says, you know what? You don't get to see the promised land. If you don't have faith in me, you can't please me. You're not going to make it. You're done. So you stay here. I'm going to let Joshua and Caleb and all the men that were younger than them go on into the promised land. They're going to get to see that heavenly city. But you, you wanted to do your own thing. You didn't want to have faith in me, so I'm not going to let that happen for you. And I'm not trying to be a doom and gloom type of person because you can keep the faith. You can have the faith that you need. And even though God does things in our life, you know what? Ultimately, if I'm like Abraham and God does great things in my life, but I never get to see exactly what I'm looking for in this life, I know that if I keep the faith throughout this life, if I contend earnestly for the faith throughout my entire life, that I may die someday and not ever get to see the promise with these earthly eyes. But I know someday that God's going to remember me, and he's going to call me up out of that grave, and he's going to take me to that same city that Abraham was looking for. He's going to take me to that same city that Joseph and Moses were looking for. He's going to take us all to that city if we will keep the faith, we will keep serving God with everything in our heart, if we'll keep searching after God. That should be our ultimate goal is that somehow, someway, I've got to make it to heaven. Every miracle in this life is just a bonus. Everything in this life is just a bonus. But my ultimate faith is that God is going to redeem me out of sin, out of this world, out of this life, and he's going to take me to a better place. I have faith to believe. I have faith to receive that. And so if you're here today and you don't have the Holy Ghost or maybe you need renewed in the Holy Ghost, I want to encourage you that the Holy Ghost is for you, that you haven't done too much. If you're here in this house today, the Holy Ghost is for you. It doesn't matter what may have been in your past. It doesn't matter what may have happened. God wants to fill you full of the Holy Ghost today. He wants to give you that same measure of faith. And he wants to give you the author of that faith in your life. And he's going to help you to finish that faith in your life. If you'll just continue to search after him, follow after him with all of your heart, seek after him, and you will find him. And so let's all stand in this house. Let's all stand up and let's just begin to worship God and to praise God and to ask God to increase our faith. Even if you feel like you're full of faith today, I want you to thank God that he's given you faith and say, God, increase my faith even more, Lord. I can never have enough faith. Because if I don't have faith, it displeases you. I want as much faith as possible. I want as much faith as I can have, Lord. I want to be pleasing in your sight. I want to have all of that faith in my heart. All the faith that you can put in my heart, God. I want it all, Lord. I don't want to be doubting. I don't want to have any of those thoughts of doubt in my heart. And those thoughts do come. And when those thoughts do come, we have to pray and say, God, please forgive me. That's what the man that came to Jesus said. He says, Lord, I believe. Forgive thou my unbelief. Help thou my unbelief. I'm sorry, Lord, for the little bit of doubt I may have had every now and then, Lord, but I don't want to be like the children of Israel, Lord, always doubting and questioning you, Lord, but I want to be like Abraham and Moses and all these others, Lord, that though they may have had hard times in their life, they kept the faith. They kept trusting in you. They kept following after you. They knew that there was a better place for them. They had faith that one day you were going to come to earth, rub yourself in flesh. You were going to pour out your spirit. You were going to redeem your people. And then after that, you were going to bring us into perfect communion, just like it was in the beginning once again, God. You're going to bring us back into that communion with you where we can be with you always, Lord. Oh, in Jesus' name, no matter what season you're in, keep that faith in your heart. Oh, Lord, we know you hear our prayers. Oh, we pray that you answer our prayers according to your will, Lord. Not our will, God, not what we want in our life, Lord, but whatever you want for our life. We trust in you, Lord. You are greater, Lord. Oh, you know better. Your thoughts are above our thoughts, Lord. Help us to have faith, Lord, even when we don't see it, Lord. Even when we don't have direction, even though we don't know we, where we're going all the time, God. We know that you're there with us, that you're guiding us, you're leading us one day at a time, one step at a time, Lord. And we know that when we get to where you're, we're going, you're going to say, this is where I was bringing you. This is the place where I brought you. This is the will in your life. Oh, in Jesus' name, we just cry out to him right now. Oh, we love you, Jesus. Oh, one day when this life passes away, God, when this world is over, I want to be in heaven with you, Lord. That's my ultimate faith, God, is that I can make it to heaven. I can make it all the way. I have faith, Lord, that no matter what happens in my life, I'm going to keep serving you. I'm going to keep working for you, Lord, all the days of my life. I'll never turn my back on you, Lord. I'm going to keep working for you, God, to the best of my ability. I put all my trust in you, Jesus. Well, that's the way. Just cry out to him right now, whatever you have in your heart. Oh, in Jesus' name.
Hallelujah. If you need the Holy Ghost, amen. Why don't we all go ahead and come on up to this altar right now. Amen. Hallelujah. Come on up and get renewed in the Holy Ghost. Amen. If you haven't received the Holy Ghost, now's your chance. Now's your opportunity. Hallelujah, Jesus. God wants to do something wonderful for you. Amen. You ought to come on up here. Lift your hands to the Lord and let him fill you with the Holy Ghost. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Holy Ghost, have your way. Hallelujah, Holy Ghost, have your way. Hallelujah. Oh, come on, some of you men, let's pray with Brother Javier right now in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, great God. Hallelujah, Jesus. 